Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so freaking pumped for this episode. One year ago, I I did a podcast all about the tornadoes that went through essentially half of the United States. I had moved to Missouri with my kids, and we were at a Christmas party that night, and all these sirens are going off. And for my kids who were born in California, moving to you know the Midwest, back home for us, um, it was definitely like, hey, what are these sounds? What are these sirens? And in the aftermath of that, we talk about the helpers. We talk about people who get out there and do good in the world. One of the posts that I kept on seeing from a good friend of ours, Paul Taylor, was about Operation Barbecue Relief. And uh, I, I've been tracking them for about a year now. And it just so happens that David Marks and I were on this a plane together. And he was, what, maybe five seats behind me talking about what they were doing at IAEM for all those who who know I was on EM weekly talking about that and I heard him and I turned around and said hey here's a challenge coin let's let's connect and I found out uh, his role and so really excited for David to be on the show with us welcome to the show David hey great to be here and uh you know it must be nice sitting in first class <laughs> I wish I was in first class I think I was in a slightly better coach yeah so who knew but um, let's talk about, uh, first of all, all the awards behind you. I'm looking at all these awards, uh, these trophies. Is that you? Is that your kids? What is that? What is that from? So, yeah. So, uh, I don't know, about 14 years ago, uh, I got into competitive barbecue as a marketing strategy for a business, uh, found out mm. I was pretty good at it. Uh, found out that I actually found my people that I wasn't looking for, but I actually was a uh, a barbecue guy at heart, and uh, that barbecue community I found was amazing. Uh, but I have been in competitive barbecue for many years. Uh, the core DNA for our organization uh, really started in competitive barbecue, even though we've grown way beyond that. Uh, but many of the, those trophies are trophies I've won. The, the blue one in the middle, uh, uh, I'm pretty proud of. Uh, I did win an episode on Pitmasters. Uh, so really, uh, absolutely, that's a Kingsford trophy right there in the middle. Yes, sir. Okay, first of all, I was thinking this sports, and of course, competitive barbecue. That's probably should have been the go-to. A little poor situational awareness on my end. All good. Um, as a guy who likes barbecue himself, I have um, I have an offset. I have I have a trigger where I get to cheat. Um, I as a guy who runs a small business, that trigger has been like life saving for a guy who wants to do barbecue. Um, I'm interested. Do you do when you um, let's talk about beef ribs or even pork ribs, right? Um, I'm assuming you. Let's just talk about the process for a second because I'm going to nerd out here for a guy who keeps winning. Do you you put obviously the mustard drive on it? Is that your like base layer that you you put on it, or do you use something else? So I've gone back and forth over the years. I have found that a mustard binder uh, is, binder, is yeah. the best for me to go about it. I use a, a mustard as a binder. It does not leave any mustard flavor. The vinegar and mm. the mustard starts to penetrate the meat and then allow the rubs that I put on that uh, pork ribs, beef ribs, doesn't matter. Uh, it, it starts to bring in those flavors. And and I don't want to nerd out here either and start talking about layers of flavors and how you do that oh. and melting points of sugars. That's another show. but. Uh, absolutely. There's a lot of nuance. Uh, being great transitions and translates in everything that you do in your life and uh, sweating yeah. the details and, and being prepared for those things is is really uh, important in competitive barbecue and everything else you do. 
Okay, uh, that is a, a great lead into what we should be talking about. All I want to talk about is layers of flavor, though. But maybe we can talk about the layers of flavor of work. By the way, I'm definitely going to have to ask you about this after the show because I do a um, like an apple cider vinegar and apple juice mix for my spray. But I have some people who are like, never open it, but I open it every hour. We're going to talk about that later. I'm really excited for it. Anyways, to I'm the into decor. the spritz. I'm into the spritz. You are into the spritz. Oh, okay. So I'm not missing. For the guy who has awards behind him, that's uh, that's relieving to me. So Operation Barbecue Relief, though, if you guys were in competitive barbecue, just from like a company perspective or organizational perspective, what what was the switch there? Why did you go from competitions to, you know, helping out disaster survivors? So, so first of all, I, I met the co-founder uh, of Operation Barbecue Relief, Stan Hayes, at a national championship uh, in Bentonville, Arkansas, at the world headquarters for Sam's Club. And he we had only done one disaster at that point, and I didn't even know who we are, uh, who, who we were at that point in time. Um, from there, however, uh, Hurricane Sandy came up the East Coast. And, you know, I, I kind of had that, I guess we met for a reason moment. Um, yeah. One of the re- things that was really cool about barbecue and what barbecue did for us, and I'm kind of answer your question here, is Please, yeah. as an organization, we, we were not steeped in disaster and, and really understanding disaster. As an organization, we were able to mobilize, use oh. our resources, but the most important thing that we had was common language. We may not be able to talk about EFS six and and you know and, and how an SEOC worked uh, you know in a, in, a, in a huge disaster, but we knew how to speak the same language. And ultimately, you know, in disaster response, you know, being in in this field now years years behind me, that common language has really been that success for us. And I think it's also what's the success when you bring all these different organizations together. Real quick, we're gonna pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue, and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. Okay, let's jump back in. Well, in every single after action report, you know, this is for the emergency manager listening. You know, all of our eyes start twitching a little bit when we talk about communications and common language, because on every single one, it says like communications is a problem. And so the fact that you guys immediately lead with like, we can integrate, we may not know all that other stuff, but we do this thing really well and we can speak uh, same language. I think that's a, like a fantastic place for anybody to start just knowing who your audience is. Right. I mean, we, we focus on that quite a bit from our business side with Doberman all the way through this podcasting, making sure the audience is fully engaged and understand what we can, we can offer them, right? So I, I think it's also interesting that you're talking about Hurricane Sandy uh, or Superstorm Sandy, whatever you want to call it, uh, because often when I talk to leaders and I say, how did you get involved in this? They don't say things like, I just like helping people, which is typically true. They usually name an event 
And I think that's interesting that your event was something, I mean, you're close to, you're in Philadelphia, you're close to Philadelphia, something hitting on the East coast, kind of meshing that together. Yeah, it, it was amazing um, f- for me going there, uh, seeing the real devastation. I've seen the effects of, in my life, um, but I'd never seen real devastation like that. I'd never seen um, before the, the real equalizer that Mother Nature was. I remember uh, we set up in this police athletic league and we were cooking massive amounts of foods. We were serving the first responders, the National Guard. Uh, we, we were really helping these churches and, and different distribution points. But we had our own, for lack of a better word, soup kitchen going on at the same time. Place people could come, get a little respite, plug in their phone, yeah. charge it. Uh, and I'll never forget an old beat up Hyundai with a mother and four kids and all their laundry piled on top of them in their in their Hyundai. And then followed behind them was an older couple in a brand new Mercedes 550 SEL. And they both came to the same place for the same reason. It didn't matter how much money they had, what their economic yeah. worth was or needs that they could meet. Cause in that moment, they just needed a hot meal and a place to frankly dump off a little bit of their burden, what they were experiencing and talk to somebody. And, and uh, I learned that a little hope, a little friendship and compassion goes a tremendously far in an event like that. That reminds me of an event um, I had. I lived in Japan a couple times, and I taught over there and did a bunch of other stuff. And uh, I still remember I had back-to-back meetings where people had called me up to ask me to go to their homes. And I walked into a dirt home, like dirt floor home, and uh, missing teeth and really rough situation. And an hour later, I was in a sky rise with heated floors and all like the and it was the fact that they were like literally across the street from each other that will that was like burned into my memory um funny enough and the fact that they were asking for the same thing volunteer service to support and um yeah disasters in a way disasters do highlight the disparity between economic you know uh standings because of insurance and everything like that but food and relief every human needs that and it, and it, talk about the great equalizer um and you know for we try to keep it fairly light on here but you know those burned memories um man really hit home of like, like what are the actual basics that people need food shelter clothing we say that but you just said kindness compassion you know working together definitely great call outs there for sure yeah it, it's amazing um you know, in that moment, people, they really, they don't know what the next right thing to do is so often. And, um, you know, a hot meal kind of warms them from the inside out, uh, gives them that nutritional value that they may have been missing. So now their brain starts to think a little more clearly. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure you've seen this. I I know I have, you know, they talk about, you know, zombie apocalypse and, and the truth of the matter is why there are no such thing as zombies. Um, I've seen people walking in circles, not knowing what to do next, not where, not knowing where to go and, and, and what the next best thing to do is. And, um, you know, I, I really think in those moments um, when we stop worrying about the hundreds of thousands of people that we impact and we deal with the person 
right in front of us and we give them that few minutes that they need. Um, you know, maybe it's that meal, that nutrition, the caloric value. Maybe it's just the FEMA hotline number for assistance. Maybe it's, you know, mm-hmm. here's Team Rubicon's uh, contact information to come help them come and muck out your, your basement like or your, or your awesome. home. Like there's so many different things that we can provide people to get them to take the next right step. Yeah. In fact, um, let's talk about your process and of getting people uh, in front of you. So let's say a hurricane's barreling in hurricane Ian, you mentioned hurricane Ian, uh, when that is on cue for you guys, what is your process a to Z to actually get in front of people? So, I mean, clearly the first thing is, is having good intelligence. Uh, we have, uh, some pretty good weather dating, uh, prognosticating information. Um, we, from there good start word. watching what's really happening. I'm sorry. What, I said good know, word. Yeah. <laughs> I like words. So it's a good word. Yeah. So prognostications is important. Uh, then we start watching what those cones are doing and, uh, where that's heading. Uh, at some point we start to stage equipment resources and supplies um, in a safe area, but close enough to make an impact. Uh, We have uh, developed fast teams that go in and are uh, astute on quickly setting up and also can start to serve a smaller amount of meals and fill that need, that immediate need. Um, As things are progressing, you know, we can't stop and say we can't feed anybody until this is set up because that's not the right thing to do and at the same time we can't say we're going to feed only these little people and then not really be able to uh, expand our our abilities to do the real impact that we're there to do in those large-scale disasters so uh, we take a double-pronged approach we send in people who are trained for that exact um, job and role Uh, and then as soon as things are set up we send in you know different teams that are capable of other strengths and skill sets, productivity, uh, and scale. So So from there, we do look at, I'm sorry, we do look at, um, you know, what, what is the impact zone? How many people are going to be affected? What are the, you know, the, the, how much power is going to be out? How many people are going to be in shelters? We start to watch shelter movement. We do watch all those other things. Um, you know, and frankly, uh, all the way down to, how many people are in the American Red Cross or Salvation Army shelters to, you know, and I'm going to say something, but, you know, the Waffle House rule, like, are they closing Waffle Houses? Or are they still open? Like, that's a thing. Yeah. It is a that's real cool. thing. But it, I had Craig Fugate on um, on the podcast, maybe, I don't know, looking at my producer over here, maybe oh, close to a year ago, talking about how he came up with the Waffle House Index. And it was so basic. And yet, we all talk about it. I just watched a video on Instagram where somebody was making fun of Hurricane Ian. Um, and just like, you know, he was pretending he was a different cities making fun of the hurricane. But either way, all of a sudden Waffle House popped up on there. This is guy who's not an emergency management. He's, he's a comedian. And the fact that it's like it's propagated so much that people are aware of that. And it's, I love ingenious ideas that are simple to follow. So I think that's uh, really fantastic. And it helps that their food, your food, you know, it's a, it's a, a good, good connection there in terms of like funding, right? Are you like, would my audience be like people that would provide funding to be able to support you guys? Or are you, are you funded by the state? Does the state request you? How does that process work? 
So, you know, as a really young organization, 11 and a half years old, um, we have been through many different genesis of, of how we're funded. Uh, we, mm. we are mostly funded, frankly, by $50 donations, $25 donations. Um, awesome. We never took a dollar from the government until COVID. Mm. Uh, yeah. In COVID, we realized that we could make an impact, but our impact would be um, finite. We only had so yeah. much money and we only had so much capability. Um, you know, frankly, this leads into some amazing work that we did do um, across the country, but mostly with the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, we actually put together a plan to convert commercial food products Half the country used to eat out at schools, universities, restaurants, et cetera. And the other half of the country ate from the grocery store and cooked at home. Well, those retail products, when everybody was forced at home, caused a huge problem because they weren't available on the shelves. So we actually put together 4 million meals uh, in, cor in corroboration with the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. I, we could have never done that without frankly, their funding, which ended up being yeah. fully funded by the federal government. But at the time, nobody knew how it was going to be funded and they led with their chin. Um, but we, cool. we, we, we did some amazing things and we actually put restaurants to work. Um, we created an economic impact. We had restaurants uh, that were closed, open back up, hire their employees back, put together the meals. We, we provided all the food mm -hmm. and disposable supplies they provided the environment food safe environment and the employees to get the work done and then we handled all the logistics four million meals nine weeks across the commonwealth of pennsylvania that's so i mean talk about it yeah talk about a huge win four million meals i think about in covid because i was in california and in missouri because i moved during the time and uh there was you know the school district's requirements i was actually just in alabama we were talking about that, the requirement, the, the law to provide meals to children, even when the schools are closed down. And, uh, you know, funny enough, as an emergency management program, they're starting to ask, you know, you know, in terms of emergency operations plans, school districts, how do we do meals and disasters? And I, I think it's um, I think it's a wise business decision to say, like, hey, we're in disaster. Disasters are run by public entities. So it makes sense that the public entity is funding it. But uh, just for my audience, uh, situational awareness, we weren't paid to do this. We weren't asked to do this. But again, I've been so impressed over the last year of everything you guys have been doing. We're going to put a link in our show notes uh, just to say, hey, thanks for coming on kind of thing. But uh, as people look you up, you know, for the audience perspective, uh, from a guy who's been watching it, uh, please, uh, you know, consider donating to you guys, your guys' cause. And especially because I love barbecue. And I'm like, I was talking to pa Paul at... IAEM. He's like, Hey man, you should volunteer some of your time and, you know, barbecue with us in a disaster, which for a guy who's been on the public side so much, uh, you know, it'd be kind of a fun way to, to get into that. And so we should talk about that later, but at the same time, again, uh, we'll put that link in there for everybody to, you know, operation barbecue relief.org, OBR.org. And, and I'll tell you, you know, you, you brought up something that's really important. Uh, and I think one of the things that really has helped us stand out Barbecue is comfort, comfort food. And, you know, one of the things that I 
I believe what we do, you know, the psychology behind it, it, it's not just that we provide that meal, we provide barbecue, that comfort food that reminds people of good times of the past, maybe barbecues at their grandparents' house or friends and family and, and good times. And even though they're struggling in this moment, um, they get that hot barbecue, that hot pork sandwich, that hot, you know, uh, uh, whether it's, you know, pulled chicken or turkey or whatever it is we're providing that day. Um, it reminds them that they'll have good times in the, again in the future. They'll rebuild. They'll get beyond this. And, uh, you know, I, I do I do think it's much more than just a hot meal. It is that comfort food. It is uh, that muscle memory in their mind of, of times of past and times for the future. Yeah, I think that's uh, there was a case study done in Japan after the tsunami uh, case. Uh, they went in there and they gave people a regimen. They had them wake up all at the same time. They had them exercise. Uh, they gave them great food and they tried to get them to return back to normal. And um, other people may not like this vernacular, but I like the idea of tricking. It's like you're telling your body that you have some good foods. You're le releasing those endorphins like things are normal. And so you you start feeling like you're normal. And the communities that didn't do that, they were still using like the MREs and still using like the really basic stuff that just like are not enjoyable, um, didn't put them on a schedule. It took them a lot longer. The, the impacts, impacts of PTSD and the disaster were a lot longer and they still are there versus the people who are immediately given that. And so, you know, we've had off the grid on this show before. We're having you on the show. Like I cannot stress to emergency managers enough like get people like Operation Barbecue Relief in front of you because you're going to help out the people that that need to recover in your community. You know, you, you bring up this amazing point. Um, I, you know, first of all, I, I, I'm so amazed at where my life has taken me and, and where the world has taken Operation Barbecue Relief. I'm a restaurant guy who's now doing disaster full time. Uh, That's pretty cool. My entire life, literally, my father owned restaurants when I was a kid. Um, I owned restaurants in my professional career, irrelevant. Um, you know, I, I had such an amazing opportunity when the state of Florida contacted Operation Barbecue Relief and specifically uh, asked me to go to Sanibel Island after Hurricane Ian. You know, I need you to go now, get on a barge, go to the island, go, go, yeah. go, go. Go assess what's going on in the island. Who's there? What resources are there? What assets are available? Who who actually is physically on the island? What are their needs? And then put together a feeding plan. Um, yeah. So I mean, first of all, like the honor of that uh, for this little uh, disaster organization was uh, immense and 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 not taken lightly. Um, but the thing to your point. Uh, that was amazing for me was as I got to the island and, and realized that the state had literally um, deployed their disaster, their true disaster plan. The only thing I saw on the island besides people in a mess were, were pallets of airlifted MREs and water. Mm -hmm. So they had yeah. MREs and hot water. So one of the first things that we did was like start to bring normal. I need tractor trailers mm -hmm. of, of water that are refrigerated. You know, I, I yeah. need tractor trailers of ice. Let's get them ice. Let's get them cold water. Uh, frankly, I wasn't able to actually get it executed, but I was trying to bring on a coffee station for the island. So they actually had like coffee, <laughs> just like simple things that like, everybody takes for granted as normal. Yeah. You know, then we get hot, you know, we had hot meals on the island the next day. And wow. um, 
you know, to put those things that bring some sense of normalcy to get them to be able, these people who've been affected uh, back to some semblance of normalcy, even if it's starting in their mind um, because of this regiment, to your point, um, you know, the, the state identified it. They allowed us to identify it. You know, together we realized that that was an important part of the plan to healing that island. And, uh, you know, yeah. to your point, that that's exactly what we did. Well, I'm going to I'm going to make a small caveat to my statement, just because the emergency manager who's listening here, who has ordered all those MREs and those those pallets of water, and there's no disrespect to them, like their number one job is don't starve. But we are so blessed here in the United States where we have all these organizations, Operation Barbecue Relief included, that can go out there and give them the sense of normal. And as soon as people start doing that, they can actually recover on their own instead of being dependent on other people to even literally function. You know, um, I can't even tell you how many times when I'm barbecuing just in my neighborhood and all my neighbors are like, what's that smell? And they want to come over and they, it's like, an, it's a naturally like, you know, uh, camaraderie thing. Like even having hot meals and feeling that sense of normal, you're talking about uh, coffee stations, you know, uh, I don't drink coffee because it smells like manure to me, but everybody else I know like coffee. I, I'm like the, you know, it's kind of funny, but somebody gave me like a monster energy drink i'm like woo i'm like all in so it depends like what normal is for you but yeah like we we have options to to give them that here and the emergency manager whose number one job is don't starve to death no dehydration good for getting mres and water but Amazing. if you can get beyond that stage fantastic Right. Yeah. And they did their job. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, the, you know, the state of Florida was amazing uh, in the fact that they recognize it's we're not going to be able to support these people. We need to give them sustenance, hydration, yeah. nutrition as minimum as it is, you know. But then again, to, to your point, recognize that there was an opportunity. They did seek out Operation Barbecue Relief. They did ask us to to. to really lean in with our chin and, and, and do what we could do for those people. And, and they get credit mm. for that. What is your most popular barbecue item when you go out to disasters? Oh man. What do you guys um, like to do? It's like, you can't do brisket. That takes 12 hours. You're not doing briskets, so, right? You're no, that's actually not true. Um, we actually smoked 84,000 pounds of brisket during hurricane. <laughs> Ian. Yeah. 84,000 pounds. National Beef um, uh, was one of our sponsors, and they provided wow. us with two tractor trailer loads of brisket, as well as left those reefer trailers there for us for our use. It was amazing, oh and um, it's a lot of fun. Now, you know, we do use brisket, pork butts, uh, turkey uh, breast lobes, things mm. that can't smoke uh, overnight. Um, we, we've used yeah. mechanical advantage to, re to really lever uh, productivity for us so yeah. we do smoke large cuts overnight and then we process in the morning so, so you have a fairly you have a fairly large team that deploys like what your how big is your fast team then so our fast team's probably about 15 people on that team oh wow but we quickly scale up to 100 150 people on site a day uh some of that wow. is from our own internal teams and then some of that um are from the state's volunteer resource centers and the state's uh, different volunteer organizations. Um, you know, we, we, we do 
really need the help of the volunteers. We could not accomplish what we do without our volunteers. They are our single most important resource and asset. Uh, we are very fortunate to have um, about 14,000 registered volunteers. Um, mm. But of that number, like mm. this year, probably 1,600 of them have been active. Wow. I mean, that's still really impressive. The fact that like you can, you can go to scale. I think back and help me just understand logistically. So Hurricane Katrina had so many failures for a lot of reasons. One of which is um, there was three organizations, the Red Cross, the Southern Baptist Church, and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints brought all this food out. The Southern Baptist Church refused to make it, and the Red Cross didn't want to get involved. So they created an MOU after that where the LDS Church or whatever brings out the food, the Southern Baptists make the food, and now the Red Cross dis distributes the food. So it's like removes, you know, any kind of issue there. Um, as as those MOUs are put into play, do you also have relationships with other... You talked about the VOAD. You have to be working with other groups. How does your relationship work? You talked about sponsor with food. How does that work? So, you know, first of all, clearly the, the single biggest... <clears throat> thing that we all learned as NGOs from Katrina, and we did not exist until after Katrina, right. but, but really the VOADs working together, the, the, the VOAD, the, you know, the, the organizations working together is critical and key. Um, mm -hmm. I, I am more and more hopeful every day that we will really be able to lean into you do this well, you do this well, and you do this well. So let's all do those things well and really impact yeah. the most people at, at the most uh, critical parts of time. Um, for me, um, I have actually had, uh, and, and our organization uh, have had conversations with people like Marcus Coleman. And I don't know if you know who Marcus is, but for those who don't, um, you know, he, he, he's, he's one of the top dogs over there at FEMA. He's in charge of community and faith-based uh, organizations. Oh, Coleman. And, yeah. Yeah. Marcus Coleman. And, you know, I've had the opportunity and been blessed to be able to have the uh, ability to get a hold and have conversations with people like Marcus, uh, where we talk about like, how do we continue to change now that the NGOs, the VOADs are really working together, um, you know, and we're, we're a major part of things like IAEM and, and uh, being able to contribute, but how do we really start to contribute with the federal government and really be able to make impact? And we've had some of those conversations with Marcus and others, and, and I see the change happening. I, you know, a lot of people like to talk about the failures, but the failures are in the past and they are blocks for learning. But I really see uh, the federal government, FEMA, uh, private sector organizations like yours, um, private, you know, public you know, nonprofits like, like, like Operation Barbecue Leaf and the others you, you mentioned, as well as, you know, businesses and, and companies that can make a difference in these times. And we're all really working together and it's, and it's continuing to improve. For me, it's been amazing to see in the last 12, 11 and a half, 12 years. Uh, and it is really amplifying in speed right now. I see it happening. I've been in the conversations mm -hmm. and I've seen others doing as well. Uh, I believe that we are going to really um, continue to improve that multi-pronged approach where everybody contributes and makes a difference. Yeah, I mean, that's emergency management to its core, right? Like you have to be a hub. Anybody who thinks they can do it alone, they fail epically. 
and it's it's funny in in disasters and, and we're not naive to this like there's competing interests right like there's competing interests from ngos from funding sources from even public entities like you know there was um gosh which a disaster we were sending commodities from one county to another county and a sheriff pulled over the federal like the fema truck and at gunpoint said that's going to my county now that's ridiculous like there's competing interests and we don't have to be naive to that however i agree with you it in all aspects um the the leaders like yourself who come onto this podcast and say it's more effective to work together because the mission and by working together we're able to do more and grow and you know that's like having you guys on the sh show you talk about being a young company at 11 and a, or 12 years uh we're five years uh you know this podcast is three years you know we're lucky to be the number one show and to have thousands of listeners and we're grateful for everybody who's listening right now um however uh the whole idea here is that like i hate the phrase whole community and i make fun of it pretty often like you don't need to say whole community you just need to say community it's like if I'm going to eat an apple, I don't need to tell people I'm going to eat the whole apple. They're just going to assume I'm going to eat the, the whole apple unless I say something else. And so we've been addressing um, the terms, the culture, the, the uh, proposition that we put out to help people in disasters and quite frankly, businesses and other stakeholders that are not typically in disaster response historically don't really get it. And now they're starting to see that between frequency and between COVID and between all these other things, it does take, quote unquote, a wolf pack to come in and support. And uh, I can't say this enough, like, um, you know, proud to see friends like Paul and, and to, to meet your people like you who get out there and say, like, hey, like, we're going to do something about this. We're going to we're going to help people out. So, um, you know, with co closing comments here. Thanks again, David. Uh, for, to direct people to your Operation Barbecue Relief, you mentioned the website earlier. One last final pitch for you know the people listening to this show. Hey, look, uh, Operation Barbecue Relief is out there. We're one of many organizations. Uh, we do, you know, we we inspire, connect, serve, educate, uh, and feed people in need. Uh, we do it with a little hope, a little friendship, and compassion. If you're interested in learning more, please go to obr.org. And I really appreciate you sharing your microphone with our organization today. I appreciate it very much. Absolutely. Well, I believe in what you guys are doing. Uh, we didn't even talk about Kentucky. Maybe we'll have you back on sometime and talk about, you know, do an after action of Kentucky. Thanks for talking about Hurricane Ian and Sandy and how you got involved. It definitely sounds like a guy from a restaurant business to, you know, helping out disaster survivors. Pretty cool story. For all those who are listening to our show, again, we're going to put the website in our show notes, but make sure this is the uh, what we do every time. Like and subscribe, five-star review, uh, share this episode. If you have a comment where you have a positive story about Operation Barbecue Relief, or you also have a broader discussion of how food and nutrients and uh, healthy living can help out disaster survivors, we would love to see that in the comments of our social media channels. We're all across the board. I think my one of my producers or one of one of my team members even started a TikTok channel that kills me inside a little bit. But we're everywhere. Disaster Tough Podcast. Tag us. Tag Operation Barbecue Relief, and we'll see you for the next one. Bye.